Listening to Spooky. All of the spooks. It's literally always spooky in here. <laughs> we hope you're having a good week this week, everybody. We are. We've just been busy little bees. We've been really enjoying this whole process of learning the in and outs of our new equipment and kind of trying our best to be podcasters and it's been a really <laughs> fun and rewarding journey and we really appreciate your patience with us it's super dope so as a reminder you guys can check out the end of this case for our social medias we always announce that at the end of the episode yes yes so listen all the way through if you dare if you dare because i'm excited i'm kind of scared and it's time for gage's case this week So this week's case is going to be the Cassie Joe Stoddart case. Okay. It's very, very sad. Extremely sad. This is one that I've known about for quite a while. It's just like the first two that I covered here on this podcast. Mm -hmm. It sticks with me pretty profoundly. It's just really awful. There's no way around that. I want to open up this case by introducing you to Cassie. Okay. Cassie Joe Stoddart was born on December 21st, 1989 in Pocatello, Idaho. Cassie had two siblings, Christy, who was six years older than Cassie, and Andrew, who was 18 months younger. From what I could find, Cassie and her siblings grew up in a very loving household. The kids were all really close to one another, and they especially loved their mother. I couldn't find any information regarding Cassie's father, but her mother's name is Anne. The family was very tight-knit, and Anne made it a point to raise her children with love and kindness above all else, and this really manifested itself within the children. So we've got a loving household, everybody gets along together, and good spirits, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All three children were extremely kind and gentle people. Cassie could easily make friends with anyone, and everyone that knew her described her as an absolute light and a pleasure to be around. Cassie loved socializing as well, and she was extremely gentle and also sympathetic to others. Cassie also kind of had this unwavering faith in other people, such as her friends and her family, her classmates, and really the whole world. She just... She, she saw had the an, good in people. Yeah, she saw the good in everything. She had a very optimistic personality, and it was really, really beautiful. Her brother Andrew described his sister as his role model. Cassie was also very ambitious, down-to-earth, and she had very high goals set for herself. She was very, very idealistic, and she had dreams of attending college someday even. She worked very hard to achieve her goals. Uh, she was an excellent student, daughter, sister, and friend. All around, she was really working hard to do the things that she knew she wanted to do. She had quite the head on her shoulders to be 16. Yeah. It's kind of incredible, really. Yeah. So in the autumn of 2006, Cassie was 16 years old and a junior at Pocatello High School. She had recently started dating a guy by the name of Matt. Okay. He was in her grade, and they had been together for about five or six months at this time. They were just, you know... Young high school sweethearts, and they seemed very happy with one another. It was Aww. actually kind of cute. Cassie and Matt would spend a lot of time together, mainly over at Cassie's house if they weren't at school. Okay. As I said earlier, Cassie was super, super ambitious, and she worked very, very hard for everything that she had, and she worked very hard to achieve her goals. Right. So she had been saving up for her own car. Because, you know, 
what 16 year old doesn't want their own car, right? Right, right. Cassie was doing some babysitting jobs in order to help with this goal. She was really, really trying hard to show her family that she was responsible and could do things that they asked her to, that she could be trusted with more. She just really had her shit together. That's she awesome. was really, really brilliant. And she really cared about the impression that her family had of her. Yeah. And I know I've said this point a few times, and it sounds like I'm being repetitive, but I'm going to say it again. This girl worked so hard and did so much for so many people. I just feel like that her life and her work and her commitment deserve to be shared numerous times. Oh, So God. if you hear me saying how hard she worked over and over, I just can't help it. Like, to be 16, she had so much life to live she had so much going for her and it was right. taken away from her in such a horrific way cassie had been doing babysitting jobs to save up money during the week of september 20th cassie's aunt allison and uncle frank offered her the opportunity to house sit for them while the family went away for a few days out of town okay the whole family was going to be going Cassie's job was mainly just to stay over at her aunt's and uncle's place and watch the animals that were there. They had two dogs and three cats in total. Oh, that's a lot of animals. (laughs) Right. Cassie saw this as a wonderful opportunity for a few different reasons. I mean, her aunt and uncle's house was pretty large and nice, so you know. Yeah. She was probably kind of excited about getting to hang out there by herself, and at the same time, she would also be making a bit more money for her car savings, so she agreed to do this. On the weekend of September 20th, Cassie was dropped off at her aunt and uncle's house by her mother. The house was located on Whispering Cliffs Drive in Pocatello. Okay. This was a kind of secluded area. Not many people were around. I mean, they had neighbors, but not like close neighbors. The house itself was still pretty isolated. Okay, so you didn't have a whole bunch of people in your business, basically. Exactly. It was one of those kind of communities. So that evening, I suppose Cassie had gotten a little spooked being there in the large house by herself, so she called her Aunt Allison to ask if it would be okay if her boyfriend Matt could come over and hang out with her for a couple of hours. Her aunt said this was okay, and soon after, Matt arrived at the house to be with Cassie. Now, unknowingly to Cassie, Matt had also invited over two of his and Cassie's friends. Their names were Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick. They were both also 16 years old and attended the same high school as Matt and Cassie. Okay. Cassie was a little upset by this, uh, saying to Matt that she hadn't asked permission for anyone else other than him to come over. Plus, you know, realistically, she probably also just wanted the opportunity of having... time. Yeah, she probably just wanted the chance to hang out with her boyfriend and then watch some movies or do whatever. But Matt reassured her that it would be okay, that they weren't going to be doing anything crazy, just watch a couple of movies and hang out. So Cassie was just kind of like, fuck it, and went along with the plan. Yeah, it seems like a vibe. When Brian and Tori arrived at the house, however, Cassie kind of gave them a tour of everything. They went into the basement and all of the rooms and stuff. Well, not all of them, but she did show them around parts of the house because it is kind of nice. Okay. And then the four of them sat down in the living room to watch Kill Bill Volume 2 together. Now, about a third of the way into the movie, Brian and Tori told Cassie and Matt that they were going to go dip out. They had decided that they wanted to go see a movie at the local movie theater instead. So Cassie and Matt were kind of glad about this um assuming you know they wanted to spend time together so yeah they said but that- it's it's also weird that like you're already watching a movie with your friends i mean yeah that is kind of like assholeish. it's like why watch a movie with your friends when you can just go to the movie theater right it's it's kind of right. like eh, i don't know but in this case it seemed to work out for matt and cassie i'm sure they kind of preferred that yeah so in this scenario it seems to be like a good thing 
So Matt and Cassie said their goodbyes and Brian and Tori left. About 15 to 20 minutes after they left, however, the power in Cassie's aunt and uncle's house just shut off completely out of nowhere. What? Out of nowhere. This obviously had Cassie and Matt a little freaked out and a little uncomfortable, so the two decided to just stay in the living room together. Okay. Matt said that at one point, one of the dogs was sitting in front of the basement door, which was located in the kitchen, and he was, like, growling and whining. Oh, God. Fucking right. This creeped the two out even more, and understandably, they decided against going to look for the breaker box or anything that could be causing the light issue. And I don't fucking blame them, because I love spooky shit all day long, but... If I'm by myself in my own house or anyone else's house and the fucking lights go off and like, I'm not about to go look. No, you got me fucked up. I'm sitting right where I am. If I'm a sitting duck, then so fucking be it. That's just how it's going to be. Being in a pitch dark house with anybody or alone in any fucking manner is an unsettling experience on any level. Right. I say again. As it got later, the power obviously still hadn't came back on. I mean, there were instances where it came, like, halfway back on, but then would turn off again. It just kept, like, going back and forth. That's weird. Matt was getting ready to get picked up by his mom, and this whole situation had Cassie, like, really anxious. I mean, understandably. Matt also was kind of uncomfortable, and he didn't want Cassie staying by herself at the house, especially with the power going out and coming halfway back on. It was just sketchy. Aw, good man. So he calls his mom, and he asks if he can stay the night over at Cassie's house. And he explains to his mom that the power just randomly went out. It it came halfway back on, and it keeps going out, and it was just freaking the two out a bit. Matt really didn't want Cassie to stay there. Right. He tried his best to persuade his mom into letting him stay the night with her, but she was like, uh, no. She was like, uh, no. (laughs) She's like, you're not at 16 going to stay overnight with your girlfriend with no supervision. Right. However, Matt's mom did extend the offer for Cassie to come over and stay at their house. Matt's mom said that they would have supervision over at their place, and she even offered to drive Cassie back over to her aunt and uncle's house in the morning as early as she needed to. Okay. Matt relayed this to Cassie, but she declined the offer. Uh, Cassie said that it was her responsibility to watch the house and the animals that her family had entrusted her with while they were away. She said that she just didn't feel right about leaving the animals with no power or anyone to watch them. So as chilling and as sad as it is, Cassie stayed behind. Ugh. It was about 10.30, 11 p.m. when Matt's mom arrived to pick him up. They said their goodbyes, Matt left, and Cassie decided to go back into the living room. I think that's just where she felt the most comfortable. Okay. And I definitely don't blame her for not wanting to go explore the issue with the lights, especially now that she's alone. Like, fuck that. Right. So she decided to lay down on the couch and just sit until she fell asleep. Two days later, Cassie's family returns home from their trip. Her Aunt Allison and Uncle Frank, as well as Cassie's 13-year-old cousin, got back to their house. The poor 13-year-old is the first to go back into the home, and she noticed that the door was unlocked, which kind of struck her as weird. Right. Especially with Cassie being there alone, you know? Yeah. You'd think that she would just have the door locked, but she didn't. But she dismisses this and walks on into the home. This is where this poor 13-year-old discovers the horrific scene of her older cousin Cassie laying on the living room floor in a pool of her own blood. She had been stabbed to death. Oh, my God. She is immediately hysterical and starts screaming and crying. Cassie's aunt and uncle come running to see what was wrong, and they, too, came upon the grotesque scene of their niece. Absolutely hysterical. They call 911. Right. 
Investigators arrived at the scene pretty quickly after the call. During the investigation, arrangements were even made for the family to stay at a hotel. But I mean, good, because how yeah. the fuck do you, would you expect them to stay in that house given what they came home from vacation and then found? Like, that's fucking horrific. Yeah, but also the house is a crime scene now, so... A- exactly, exactly. It was concluded during the beginning of the investigation of the home that there were no signs of forced entry at any point. Nothing was missing from the house either. The TVs, DVD players, expensive jewelry and furniture, all of that was untouched. Okay. All of these things considered, it rules out the possibility of of this attack being a robbery. It implies that whoever had done this had to have known Cassie. It was likely that she had even possibly let her attacker in willingly. Oh my god. It was also found that Cassie's body had been on the living room floor for a couple of days. Oh, God. This was not an attack that had just happened. Like, she had been there for two, three days, dead, stabbed to death, before her family came home. Like, she was in the house with the animals and everything. Isn't that just fucking awful? That's insane. Cassie's autopsy was absolutely fucking horrifying. Okay. Cassie had been stabbed 30 times. Uh. Nine to 12 of those 30 stab wounds were fatal wounds. Like, holy fuck, she was stabbed 30 times, overkill as fuck. Yeah. But 9 to 12 of those wounds alone, any single one of them would have killed her. Okay. So they just overkill. Like, it's fucking brutal. It's brutal. So were the stab wounds, like, anti-mortem and post-mortem? Yes. Oh, God. Yes, she had been stabbed to death and then stabbed after she had died. Ugh. So the very first person the police looked into was Cassie's boyfriend, Matt, right? Because usually with these yeah. kind of cases, they it's obviously the go, boyfriend. They always go for the boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, someone that they're dating. That's just the lingo of how it goes. It was known that he was hanging out with Cassie at the house over the weekend before her body was discovered. Police thought that Matt was kind of suspicious, though, because when they questioned him about Cassie's death, he wasn't really emotionally responsive. He didn't really cry or freak out in any way. He was just kind of withdrawn to himself and a bit reserved, which, given the sheer brutality and gravity of how his girlfriend had just been killed, I guess that can kind of look suspicious. Yeah. But at the same time, though, you know, everyone processes pain and trauma differently. It's not really an accurate judgment to base someone on those notions you know and there's there's many different stages of grief exactly too, so. he could be one of the people that are just fucking shocked and he just you know disassociates just kind of numb yeah so the police are asking matt what all happened when you were last with cassie was anyone else present like were you guys hanging out with anyone yeah. uh, the police asked him if him and cassie were on good terms or if they were fighting just questions like that matt told police that the last people that they had been around were brian and tori Matt said that they both hung out for a little bit, then decided to go see a movie at the movie theater. Matt also told police that the very next day, Tori had came over to his house to hang out. He said he kept trying to call Cassie all weekend and never got an answer. So police now had to question both Brian and Tori. Oh, God. Now, this is where we're going to start discussing these two a little bit. So, Brian and Tori, they were both juniors at the same high school that Cassie attended, as I stated earlier. Brian and Tori were also really, really big, like, movie buffs. Like, their hobby was completely watching movies, critiquing movies. Okay. They wanted to make movies. They were just, you know, that was their thing. Okay. They were just self-proclaimed movie enthusiasts, even. They specifically loved horror movies and anything scary, which... That's not indicative of anything weird, because if you know me in real life, uh, horror is literally my favorite thing in the fucking world. I have Chucky tattooed on my right hand. Like, this is not a joke. Right. But I don't want to paint the image that just because they loved scary stuff and had that 
thing that's not indicative of something bad i just like making that note but it's just the fact brian and tori loved scary movies and they loved scary shit um they were even experimenting with filmmaking together in the forms of daily blogging and you know things like that just recording different parts of their day always sitting with each other they were just super into it okay the boys had considered each other close friends now something to be said about brian is that he also had a pretty strong obsession with the Columbine shooters. This does not bode well. Right. It's it's bad. Uh, Brian definitely idolized them. And he said that he related to the Columbine shooters on the basis of being an outcast. Okay. Basically, like, Brian is saying that he himself is an outcast. He's a loser. He doesn't fit in anywhere. And he just feels like nobody understands him. Just like Eric and Dylan. Oh. Collectively, he's saying Cringe. that... Right? He's collectively saying that... Eric and Dylan represent the kids that everyone hates and never pays attention to. And Brian even goes further to say that he admires their act of revenge. You know, the Columbine shooting. What? And he aimed to do something similar. So there's that. Okay. Now, back to the investigation. Police now have to question both the boys because they are now known to be some of the last people to be around Cassie at the last time she was seen alive. Yeah. Brian and Tori both explained to police that they, in fact, were hanging out over at Cassie's with her and Matt. They said that they had gotten kind of bored, mainly because they expected it to be like some kind of cool house party or something like that. But when they realized that that was not the case and they just wanted to sit and watch movies, that bored them. And they wanted to go see a movie at the theater instead. Because, you know, as I said earlier, why in the fuck watch a movie with two friends at home when you could just go see something at the theater? It's totally an asshole gesture. Both Brian and Tori, however, did have ticket stubs for the movie Holes that had just been released. Okay. These tickets showed that they had been at the theater that night. Right. So at this point, police still don't have any leads, really. Although, they are starting to feel kind of suspicious about Brian and Tori. So they decided to bring Cassie's boyfriend, Matt, back in for a polygraph test, to which he passed with flying colors. And yes, I do know that polygraphs are literally useless. I get that. But this is just a note that I wanted to make regardless. Uh, Matt did pass this polygraph test. Okay. The police are trying to just get any information that they can, you know? Okay. So Brian gets brought back in and they ask him, what did you do on that night exactly? And... Brian responds by explaining that he went to go see a movie with Tori that night. Remember, they did have ticket stubs for Holes. Right. So the investigator asked Brian, okay, well, what movie did you go see? And Brian said that he couldn't really remember what the name of the movie was, but he knew it was a scary movie. What? Which, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's a little suspicious. Because if you remember, I had mentioned they had ticket stubs specifically for Holes. So, like, how in the fuck do you not even know what movie you went to go see? Like that, it's that's, like they just bought the ticket, went in, got it torn, and then walked right back out. Exactly. So police are like, hmm, well, alrighty then. Do you remember what the movie was about if you can't remember what the name of it was? And Brian sat confused for a few minutes, and then he said again, I can't really remember, but I remember thinking that it was boring and I did not want to be there. So again... This is really suspicious to police. They ask him another question. The investigator's like, well, all right. If you can't remember the name of the movie or what it was about, do you maybe remember who was in the movie? Like any actors or actresses maybe? Mm -hmm. And Brian said no. He explained again that he just knew it was boring and he remembered feeling like he just didn't want to be there. So police are basically like, what the fuck? This is kind of fucking weird. Like you kids are movie critics. Yeah, right. Exactly. So... They're probably fucking hiding something. 
I mean, you'd think if you went to a movie theater to see something that you'd at least know the answer to one of the questions that police asked Brian, like just one. Right. Also, police are extra suspicious because if you remember and like the point you just said, Brian and Tori are these really big self-proclaimed movie buffs. They're like super into watching movies and filmmaking and they're experts and they know everything there is to know about movies. So like, how in the fuck do they go see something and not know any details from it? Like, that's just fucking sketch, right? Not to mention, isn't the movie Holes like not even a scary movie? No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, exactly. That's why, like, good fucking point. Like, Holes is not a scary movie. So police are definitely starting to see the red flags here. They decided to go down to the movie theater to see who was working that Friday night. And luckily, she was already there working that night as well. So police asked her if she knew Brian and Tori. And she immediately responded with, oh, yeah, definitely. I know them. I go to school with both of them. Okay. So police are like, all right, dope. They asked her if she had seen the boys come to the theater that Friday night at any point. She said, oh, no, definitely not. I would have seen them if they were here because I know them and I was the one letting everyone in that night. They weren't here. Oh, my God. I was right. They bought the ticket and left. Yes. So after hearing this, police are like, "Okay, there's definitely kind of going on here. Brian and Tori are not telling the truth. Right. So on September 27th, 2006, five days after Cassie's murder, Brian gets brought in again to be questioned. And this time... The investigators immediately notice that Brian is acting a little weird. He's being really, really quiet and reserved, unlike the first time he was questioned when he was really confident and kind of forthcoming. Right. And he also seems to be a little upset. As soon as Brian sat down, he started crying. Oh, shit. So police are thinking, oh, shit. All right. Like, he's probably about to have a breakdown and tell us some information of the sort. Right. This is a win in their book. Yeah, this is a win in their book. So Brian begins to spill. He tells investigators that at one point while him and Tori were watching a movie with Cassie and Matt, that Tori had snuck off to go use the bathroom. But instead, he didn't actually go to the bathroom. Tori went downstairs into Cassie's aunt and uncle's basement and he unlocked the back door and then came back up. Brian was saying that him and Tori had this plan to pull a prank on Matt and Cassie. They wanted to scare them. Okay. So the plan was they tell Matt and Cassie that they were going to go to the movies, but instead they would actually leave and then come back and walk around the house to the now unlocked basement door. Oh, shit. Brian and Tori had really creepy white clown mask and several knives on them. I'm so uncomfortable. Brian told police that these were all props, though, and that it would make their prank more realistic. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's bad. It's going to get bad. So the story continues. Brian and Tori get into the basement. They're just hanging out. They're waiting for the perfect opportunity to jump out and scare the shit out of Matt and Cassie. It's a little bit later that Brian and Tori discover the breaker box that is in the basement. So they start playing with it. And eventually, they shut the power off. Oh, God. Brian describes that him and Tori thought that the whole messing with the lights trick would be really cool, hyper-realistic, and kind of like the movie Scream, which was a favorite movie shared between the boys. And now you can keep that in mind, this little note, that this whole thing was inspired by the boys' shared love of Scream. They were hoping that the lights flickering on and off and stuff would lure Matt and Cassie down to the basement to investigate and maybe check the breaker box. Okay. That's when they were going to jump out and scare Cassie and Matt, according to them. But this didn't happen, if you remember, because Cassie and Matt decided to stay in the living room when the power went out. Right. So when Matt left, Brian says that they both were just kind of like, you know, him and Tori. They were like, well, fuck it. We can just continue to mess with Cassie and scare her a bit. Right. 
So the boys continue to mess with the power. They're turning it off, turning it halfway back on, turning it off. They're basically trying to see if they can get Cassie to come down to the basement. But again, we know this plan failed. Cassie stayed upstairs. So Brian said that Tori's at one point started getting really pumped up and hyped. And he was just saying like, yeah, we have to do it. Like, let's fucking kill her. Let's just do it. It's a perfect opportunity. Let's fucking kill Cassie. Are you fucking serious? I'm very fucking serious. So the boys shut the power completely off and start heading upstairs out of the basement to find Cassie. Oh, my God. Brian said that Tori was the one who attacked Cassie when they found her. Brian said that Tori would just not stop stabbing her. Over and over and over and over again while he sat there and watched. Brian was saying that he was just there and that it was all Tori's idea and that he had nothing to do with Cassie being killed. No bullshit. Then, a little bit later, he's like, well, okay, I will admit I did actually stab Cassie three or four times, but only because Tori made me do it. He told me that I had to. Oh, God. Yeah, complete bullshit. These two little shit stains. But I'm just going to leave it at that for right now. So after Cassie was dead, Brian said that they gathered up all of their evidence and such and put it into a bag and then headed off to a nearby area to dispose of it. Brian actually took police to the area where he had disposed of the evidence and there was a lot in this bag that they had packed. Police found black boots, a box of stick matches, rubber gloves, fingerless gloves, a melted brown hydrogen peroxide bottle, and the creepy fucking white clown mask and a shit ton of knives. Brian and Tori had knives of several different lengths and material, one of them being a rather fucking large kitchen knife, like one of the the, the big, you know, classic horror movie kitchen knives. Oh, wow. They also found a VHS videotape. Investigators took all of this into evidence, and they started watching the tapes. Okay. And can you take a wild fucking guess what was on those tapes? Them, Them killing her. No. Brian and Tori had documented their entire plan and processes for how they were going to murder their 16-year-old classmate and friend, Cassie Stoddard. Oh my god. The day of the murder, they were recording themselves pretty much that entire day. They even recorded a video of Cassie standing at her locker on the day that she was killed. Ew. Brian and Tori had several conversations throughout this entire day discussing over and over how they just had to kill someone and it had to be that day. In one segment of this tape, the boys are driving around and Tori starts talking about how there should be no laws against killing people. He goes on to say that if you restrict people from it, it'll just make you want to do it more. Then Brian starts on the tangent of how their victim just had to be their classmate and friend, Cassie Joe Stoddard. Brian was saying that as sad as it may be, it just had to be her. He said how some people just have to make sacrifices. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, like what little evil pieces of fucking shit. So Tori even went on to say in this little segment of this clip that just thinking about it made him horny. Ew. It's fucking disgusting. These kids are 16. Like what the fuck? But anyways, I'm going to play this specific segment of their tape for you now. Trigger warning. It's very, very chilling. If you guys do not want to hear this, then we're not going to force you. This is a 35 second long clip. So skip ahead accordingly. I'm going to insert that clip for you guys now. There should be no odd against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're going to want it more. We found our victim, and sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie's daughter. She's going to be alone in a big, dark house. 
out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I, I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, isn't it fucking evil? They're 16. And they're also annoying. I kind of want to punch them both in the yeah, face. Yeah, no, they're little shit stains. It, they completely sound fucking, ridicu fucking ridiculous. Like, literally, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So the boys had literally filmed this entire day leading up to Cassie's murder, and they also filmed immediately after Cassie's murder. Oh, my God. It goes on this theme that me and you kind of have, like we said with Dorothea Puente, like we said with... Anissa Weir and Morgan in the Slenderman episode is premeditated as fuck. They didn't film the actual murder, though, just the events leading up to and immediately after. Now, what Brian and Tori recorded after they brutally stabbed 16-year-old Cassie to death absolutely fucking haunts me to this day. So immense trigger warning, everyone, because I am also going to play this clip for you this took place immediately after killing cassie and leaving her house this is a 22 second clip if you do not want to hear it so skip accordingly i'm going to insert that for you guys now i just killed cassie we just left her house this is not a fucking joke I'm i stabbed her in the throat and i saw her lifeless body just disappear dude i just oh killed God. cassie oh, oh fuck that felt like it wasn't real. I mean, it went by so Shut fast. Shut the fuck up. We gotta get our act straight. Okay. I'm... Doesn't that just send chills up your fucking spine? And the way that he just, like, snapped out of it was like, we gotta get our shit straight. Oh, yeah. It, it makes you think, like, what they had possibly done before killing Cassie. And I'm not trying to insinuate that they had killed someone else, but it's like, how the fuck do you do that? And then have the mental capacity to just, okay, shut the fuck up. We got to get our story fucking straight. Like that's scary. Yeah. That is fucking scary. The police now know that in no way was this a prank or joke of any kind. These boys absolutely had planned this. Police now know that both Brian and Tori were equally involved. They both wanted to do it and they both equally conspired to do it with one another. They had all the evidence they needed in those tapes, as well as everything else that they found in the bag that Brian Draper had led police to. Good. So on September 27th, 2006, both Brian Draper and Tori Adamchik were arrested. Both boys are pointing the finger at one another. Of that, course. Yeah, that story that Brian gave police about how this whole thing was Tori's idea and it was inspired by Scream and Tori was the one that attacked Cassie and wanted to do it. Well, Tori was giving that same exact story back to police, but saying that it was all Brian's idea and Brian mm. was the one that killed Cassie. So what they're literally the just fuck? sitting there with fingers pointed at each other. It's like, do you little fucking idiots not remember what was on those goddamn tapes that you led police to? Apparently not. Like, what the fuck? There's like no brain cells present here. Like none. Even less than me and you. <laughs> and that's saying a lot. Right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. And their defense for their tapes, which, by the way, they were played at both trials, both Brian and Tori's trials. Okay. Their defense and explanation for this is that they were just practicing for movie making. Like, fuck both of you. Oh, my God. That makes me so sick. Literally, fuck both of you. So police also found evidence of Tori and Brian buying several knives from a pawn shop together. There's video footage you can watch of the two boys entering the pawn shop buying several knives that they would later use to stab Cassie to death, and then they leave. Further evidence that this was, in fact, premeditated as fuck. Right. 
On August 17, 2007, Brian Draper was tried as an adult and convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole, along with an additional 30 years for the conspiracy charge. On June 8, 2007, Tori Adamchik was also tried as an adult and convicted of the same charges given to Brian. Mm -hmm. Life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for the first-degree murder charge, an additional 30 years for their conspiracy to commit first-degree murder charge. The boys' attorneys filed separate appeals for them. Tori's appeal was filed in September of 2010. Brian's was filed in April of 2011. The first appeal for both boys were both denied. Brian Draper did, however, get the high courts to vacate his conspiracy to commit first-degree murder charge, saying that the jurors were persuaded into giving him that charge, but, you know, what the fuck ever. That got lifted. But his first-degree murder charge and the sentence of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole that came with it was upheld by the court. Okay. Tory tried appealing his sentence again in both 2015 and 2016, to which both were rejected. Good. Right, that's what I'm saying. I hope these two fucking rot. Like, I'm sorry. I, I'm not apologizing for roasting them. Like, this is fucking evil, what they did. Yeah. All for the love and inspiration that they had for Scream. Like, are you, Jesus, fuck. Both Brian Draper and Tori Adamchik are currently serving their life sentences in Idaho State Correctional Institution located in Ada County. And that concludes the very, very sad case of Cassie Jo Stoddard. I hate that. But, like, these little fucks, Scream wasn't even that good of a movie. Like, it was okay. <laughs> it was okay, but it but was like, not. But, mm, good enough to, I don't know, go stab someone to death in cold blood. I don't know it. I don't think it, I didn't think it was that I, good either. Yeah. I mean, personally, I just did it. Um, Brian and Tori, little shit stains. I hope you both rot. I hope they never get out of prison, honestly. And I have no shame in saying that. I don't. <laughs> this case is fucking sad. It is sad. So. It's giving, I'm about to go cry in the car. It's giving, we're about to go binge cartoons, hopefully, after this. Because <laughs> that's all I want to do right now. Obviously, at the end of every episode, we make it a point that we are not only going to, but are in definite wanting to yes. watch cartoons. Yes. And it has happened every single time. Now, our version of cartoons is anime. Absolutely, absolutely. Regardless, we are still going to go watch them, damn it. And we are going to <laughs> seek some kind of form of mental peace after just hearing this horrific shit. So thanks, you guys, for listening and tuning in and staying with us. We hope you enjoyed this week's case. We will be back next week with a case from Ray. Yes. If you would like to follow us on any of our other social media accounts. You can follow us on Facebook at gore report a true crime podcast on instagram at gore report podcast and on twitter at gore report <laughs> so thanks you guys we appreciate all of you we, we are love going you. we love you we're gonna go watch cartoons now okay bye bye